Hello and welcome back to the Eloquent in the Room podcast. This is episode nine. I'm Rose Cooper and I'm midway through a four-part series I called Ixnay on the Inery Bay. It's an interview series. We've been talking about sexuality, particularly bisexuality, and we've also sort of segued into talking about gender identity. Last time we talked about being non-binary and my next two podcasts are about being transgender. This one is with a friend of mine who is a trans woman, which means that the themes aren't just gender and sexuality. It means we're also talking about feminism and the patriarchy. of complexity in every conversation had about sexuality, about gender. It is a labyrinth of rabbit holes to fall down and talk and we could take forever picking it to pieces. But in this particular episode, I want to hone in on something that is integral to transphobia, particularly of trans women, and that's misogyny, which is a feminist issue. Now I'm going to just pass over to my favourite or one of my most favourite actors of all time to illustrate a particular point. Murray Shiskel, who has been my dear friend for over 30 years, uh, kicked off Tootsie with the thought of how would you be different if you had been born a woman? It was a, in a conversation we had one time. Not what does it feel like to be a woman, because all sexes have asked themselves the question, what does it feel like to be, what would it feel like to be the opposite sex? But the, his question was different. If you, if you were born a woman, how would you be different? So that kicked off, which is a, it would take too long to answer how we then got involved in Tootsie for, for about two years before we even got a director, just working on different drafts of the script. But I did go to Columbia, and I asked them if they would spend the money to do makeup tests so that I could look like a woman. And if I couldn't look like a woman, they would agree not to make the movie. And they said, what do you mean? And I just somehow intuitively felt that Unless I could walk down the streets of New York and not have dressed as a woman and not have people turn and say, who's that guy in drag, or turn for any reason, that you know, who's that freak? Unless I could do that, I didn't want to make the film. I didn't want the audience to suspend their, 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 their believability. When we got to that point and looked at it on screen, I was shocked that I wasn't more attractive. And... Uh, I said, now you have me looking like a woman. Now make me a beautiful woman. Because I thought I should be beautiful. I, if I was going to be a woman, I would want to be as beautiful as possible. And they said to me, that's as good as it gets. Uh, that's as, as beautiful as we can get you, <laughs> Charlie. And it was at that moment that I had a, an epiphany. And I went home and started crying. Uh, talking to my wife, 
And I said, I have to make this picture. And she said, why? And I said, because I think I'm an interesting woman when I look at myself on screen. And I know that if I met myself at a party, I would never talk to that character because she doesn't fulfill physically the demands that we're brought up to think we have, that women have to have in order for us to ask them out. She says, what are you saying? And I said, there's a, too many interesting women I have, I, have, I, I have not had the experience to know in this life because I have been brainwashed. And that was never a comedy for me. So there was the beautiful Dustin Hoffman, who I am actually a big fan of, talking about the epiphany he had about playing the role of a man who was an actor who dressed as a woman to get a female part in a soap opera. Now, that movie came out in 1982, so you're going to expect it to be dated, for sure. A lot of politically incorrect stuff is in there. I saw the show on Broadway last year and it was fabulous. I had no problem with it. I thought it was wonderful and the person playing the Dustin Hoffman part was phenomenal. So what he's talking about there though is that um, firstly he had the unrealistic belief that if he was to dress up as a woman he uh, wanted to look like a woman but not just look like a woman. He had this privileged idea that he wanted to be appealing to men <laughs> um, as a woman, even though he's not even empirically, objectively uh, attractive in the usual, typical, stereotypical way that women find attractive. Like, I find him attractive because I think his body of work is amazing and he seems to be a decent guy. So that's my sort of, uh, you know my list of uh, requirements to find someone attractive. Um, but he felt that it made him realise that he had been brainwashed, that only attractive women are worth his time. He kind of gave mixed messages during that clip because in one breath he wants to be thought of as fuckable but he also wants to be thought of as interesting and says that he feels bad that he would not have given himself the time of day to talk to because he needed to want to fuck himself in order to find himself interesting enough to talk to or something. All I know is the bottom line is women are judged on their looks. Oh, yeah, that's a shock, isn't it? Okay, so take into account that trans women are not only judged for whether or not they can pass as a female-looking person or feminine, compound the misogyny that might be received at their end if they're not considered attractive as well. There's a lot of wonderful trans women role models out there in the world at the moment, but most of them are empirically attractive and if not naturally, then 
maybe if they have the means, they can cosmetically achieve typically attractive qualities. So that's all well and good in Hollywood. But what about if you're a trans woman and you're born in a particular era in a religious uh, community and you don't really have the language to explain or communicate how you feel and you know that the way you present to the world does not reflect how you feel on the inside. Imagine the anguish and then pile on homophobia, transphobia and misogyny and see how you might feel then. I'm about to introduce you to M. I first met her about three years ago when I was still living in Gosford and she was at a storytelling event I attended and she told the story of her experience in being a trans woman who had only relatively recently come out in public wearing feminine attire. She talked about how she'd been leading a double life her whole life. She's been out, kind of, since her mid-30s, but only to a select few in LGBT groups that she's become associated with and with therapy groups. But she related in her story that every time she would come home on the way she would pull over and get changed into men's clothes before going home, quite often changing clothes again before going to bed. I remember being really moved by her story and her really lovely aura. At the end of the night I went up to her and we had a chat and while we talked we held hands and I looked into her eyes. She was on an absolute high after sharing her story but there was still a certain timidity and humility there, almost apologetic and I did my best just to pour love into her as we talked. I mean how do you say to someone who's been through what she's been through, how do you say, you should be strong and live your life bravely and not care what anyone else thinks? I mean, that's okay for me. I'm a cis woman and I didn't grow up in a religious home and I didn't have the same experiences and I'm not her. I knew there was such a thing as transphobia but I didn't really put a lot of thought into it because I just didn't want to think about it. But it's misogyny on a whole next level when it comes to what is dealt towards trans women by cis men. But I can't even bring myself to say it. They also suffer from bullying from women. And like we see what's going on with JK Rongling right now out there. The things that she's saying, the things that she's writing about, her stance is so rigid about that only people who were born with genitals that are female can be called women. And she claims to have trans friends. But has she walked a mile in those shoes? How close is she to her friends? I, I, uh, I just can't even think about it. But I had to think about it because when I got back in touch with M, 
a few weeks ago to ask her if she would like to be interviewed. She was actually really tickled pink. She was really happy and excited about the interview. And we set a date and I sent her a calendar invite to the Zoom meeting for us to have a chat. And the date came and she wasn't available at the appointed time and she didn't send me a message, didn't let me know. So I I kept, you know, kept sending her messages and a couple of days later she said to me um, that the reason why she didn't check her mail is she had to step back and recover from something that was happening that week. Now she's a member of a women's group online on Facebook and it's an inclusive women's group and she had commented on someone's comment or someone's post and um, overnight her comments had blown up in the comment section with hate and bile and transphobia directed at her based on her profile photo and we're talking hundreds we're talking thousands of comments um it weren't, wasn't all bad. A lot of people were coming out in defence of M and telling people to pull their heads in, but there was hundreds and hundreds of comments and she had to deal with that. And I was thinking, oh, those fucking assholes. I was just so sympathetic and stuff. But you know what? Oh, God. It's like being hit in the face with a fucking wet fish and brought to the worst possible conclusion that I could imagine. It's a fucking women's group, Rose. She was being bullied by women. Just let that sink in. Seriously, how do you feel? I presume most of the people listening are women. How do you feel hearing that? I know I just, I'm, I can't deal with hearing that. Because think about it, the worst legacy of all from the patriarchy is not just misogyny and the mistreatment of women, but the internalised misogyny and the way we mistreat ourselves and each other. So it, it gave me a little window into things that I've been too privileged to understand. I was talking to a friend of mine during the week last week, she's a lesbian, and she lived in London and had a wonderful time going to clubs and stuff. And she said she got bashed. She got gay bashed a few times. And um, again, I was thinking, oh, fucking men. You know, that's the first thing I was thinking. But no, young women would gang up and attack them. I know. I, I can't even. I I'm such a fucking Pollyanna idiot, privileged dickhead. I don't know what goes on out in the world. But we do have JK Rongling doing what she's doing, so I don't know. But that's one thing. But we know, women know what men are like. Women know how cruel men can be to women who aren't attractive or are overweight or whatever the standard is for for them to not be an asshole towards them and to not bully them and to not get online and troll the fuck out of them. So 
So she had gone through that situation where she'd been absolutely hated on and the community pulled her closer and also loved on her and thank God because um, it helped to get through it. Now, having been through all that, I was like, are you sure you want to talk you know, now? Because we, we made a date for the next day and she's like, no, it'll be fine. Anyway, so we did. We had a chat. We talked for about at least two hours. And I came to realise during the course of that conversation that after um, seeing her that night and she was talking about coming out and stuff, I just, I don't know, automatically assumed that she would be out full time. But no, she still leads a dual life. She has such an active life in her other persona um, in the religious community. She used to be a school teacher. She's retired. And um, it's not it's not as easy or it it doesn't feel easy for her to just say, hey, guess what, people, I'm actually a woman. It would um, open up too big of a can of worms. So I'm sorry for being so thingy, but I, I, I'm being as frank and honest and genuine as I can be about how much I struggle to even believe that what she has gone through in her life has even happened and probably happened a lot and relentlessly and also how she has had her own identity crises the whole time and how that has played out on her psyche. So we did talk for two hours. She did revealed to me that she had been in psych hospital, that she had been um, in various different kinds of therapy. And the conversation meandered or, uh, and twisted around and and I, I kind of lost the thread chronologically speaking at various times. And also I wanted to share with her how I felt about my femininity as reflected through her it became a really convoluted and, and complicated sort of conversation. And going back over it and listening to it, I realised that um, she probably was still having a bit of like a post-anxiety um, uh, fog from what she had been through. And it would be hard to thread the pieces of her life together to form a cohesive narrative um, when telling a story to me in this kind of situation. So so what you're about to hear is a very truncated version. I got it down to just over 30 minutes. And there's pertinent stories and anecdotes here. Um and I've avoided any repetition that happened during the course of the interview as well. Um, so I'm hoping it comes across as cohesive and as mesmerising and heartbreaking and life-affirming in the end um, to you as it did to me being part of it. Um, she's an incredible woman. She's an incredibly strong woman and I feel so proud to be a woman meeting a strong woman like Em. So grab a cup of tea and have a listen and we'll debrief at the end. 
So when you say you were three, do you re remember how it manifested? Like yeah. how that knowing? My mum was with the, at a women's group mm. and um, it would have been a church one because I seem to remember it was a church group but it wasn't a religious group. It was one morning during the week. Maybe it was a mother's group. Probably. Let's remember women sitting around and maybe there was a woman talking to them about her humanitarian work or something. I don't recall it a regular thing. I just remember that one day and I was sitting there on the floor beside her, probably had my toys, and I remember knowing that this is where I belong. And from then on I watched. I would watch men and it's like, it's not me and I can't do this. Mm. I would watch husbands and it's not me, I can't do it. Mm. And it, it wasn't the sense for me about the body back then. It was, um, I had a very strong sensuality around my body, around my nipples, things like that. But it was very much looking at roles. Mm. I didn't want to be someone that went away and worked and didn't look after the babies at home. Mm. I wanted to be there nurturing the babies. I wanted to be there where they start to learn to walk and speak. Um, and when I, and I had this not, it wasn't a fantasy of wishing. It was a knowing that when I grew up, I would be a woman, that I would grow breasts, that I'd be a woman. And um, there was no evidence for that. Mm. But there was something inside me just was sure it would happen. Mm. And when I went through puberty, that was just so painful. The hair, the body bits, the oh. When I turned 18, my mum said, now we've got another man in the house and I was just gross and revolting inside. Mm. So painful. Mm. Was there anyone in your life during your youth that you were able to confide in? Never. I didn't even think there'd be anyone I could tell it to. Yeah. And I found ways, I'll be honest, open with you, I can remember finding ways that I could lie and tuck my genitals between my legs and it was so lovely not having the penis and everything there. Right. And I could move myself in ways and orgasm mm. and it was like I wasn't a male and it was so beautiful. Wow. Um, That's it was amazing. later on I had where I could just touch my nipples and fully be aroused and ejaculate. Mm. And just so... So sensitive. So yeah, cool. me too. <laughs> That's uh, that sensual wiring, like all human beings have it. But I think an awareness, having an awareness and a willingness to have an awareness around that sensuality is genderless and women can suppress a lot of their sensuality based on um, not seeing or learning or understanding things about their bodies and yet for some people it's innate it, and it and if they're not sort of closed off to it 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 can just blossom you know it was when I was in my 30s that I all the jigsaw pieces all came together in a really intense personal development weekend all right and, um that was just the most beautiful experience and then I came out in South Pacific Private Hospital and shared in group mm. and the therapist said, we're not geared to deal with this here. 
I can do it with you, but I'm not sure if the community's safe. Back then, there's nobody even identified as gay publicly, even in a holistic psych hospital. So how, 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 old, how old were you then? I was in the 90s. I was in my 30s. Yeah. And I went to the gender centre and found out you needed lots of money, you needed good health. Um, they talked about the violence, the losing jobs, the losing, getting kicked out of homes, all of that. And here I was homeless, sick, no money, nothing holding me, hanging on the edge of life. And I don't, not someone that can pass easy, so I just thought it's got to be my private, beautiful secret of who I love. Mm. I read a book by a transgender person in England and they were talking about, um, it used to be in England and probably elsewhere, but they were talking England that, um, and it was really transgender that was still talking back in that book about women mainly. Mm. But that, they had to go for two years fully presenting and attempting to pass as a woman before yeah. they could do hormones and surgery yeah, and have their ID changed. Yeah. And the psychiatrists and doctors would decide, are they woman enough? Mm. And told the story about one who, um, you know, ended up learning what's the game to play and put it all on, went back to suck. I said, oh, you've come such a long way since I last saw you. Mm. And it was doing all the masking. Yeah, wow. That's the only way to get And then some of these psychiatrists would say transgender women are very deceitful. And it was like it's a setup that you have to hide, pretend to get the acknowledgement. Mm. And then the other thing is when I first came out in hospital, I didn't identify as a man. I thought, how can I say I'm a woman mm. when I don't have the body or life experience? Yeah. And how can I say I'm, they used the word transsexual back then. Mm. How can I say I'm transsexual when I'm not passing, not doing hormones, not doing the surgery, so I was nobody. Mm. And, you know, the attacks, some attacks were simply about not passing enough. And yet I've got a, a female friend who looks so male that mm. will sometimes have security guards called on her in women's toilets yeah. to evict her. Yeah. And or have women attack her and tell her, get out, you pervert, yeah. and all of that. And she can't do anything. It's... Somebody put up a comment to women that were attacking me mm. as saying, you are playing into the whole, whole gendered and sexist and surface argument that a woman is a vagina on legs, mm. that it's all on appearance and genitals and that's what what it's all about and how much feminism has fought against that. And I didn't come out and tell people because I never knew how to explain it. Yeah. It didn't make sense to me. When I was welcomed into Red Tent, I was terrified going in. Mm. I've been invited but... How will they respond? So what is Since red what is red tent? I'm not familiar. Um, there's many red tents around the world, and it's, they kind of came out of a book mm. that um, takes back from a long way back women um, women getting together around the monthly time All right. period time go away. Um, and it's a fiction book but based in Judaism. Um, and they come together and, you know, the red tent was their space away from men. And, well, red tent's not about menstruation now. Okay. Uh, but it's that women's, that women's sacred 
space. Mm. But Red Tent Australia is an official organisation that grew out of what one woman started her own Red Tent, included a transgender woman. And then now there's a number of them around. Mm. And when I went and shared my story in the first heart circle, there were so many tears, there was so much delight, so much love. Mm. I was blown away how much I was welcomed and loved and belonged. Mm. And um, it was like, oh, I'm finally with my tribe, with my sisters, my people. You know, I get scared because of my appearance. Am I going to be triggering? Mm. So many just say, I don't even see. I just see you as a woman. Another woman wrote, she said, when we first looked many years ago at being fully inclusive, we had fears to start with, but when we got beyond them and we included transgender women, we found we were more safer, we were more open, we were more vulnerable, we were more intimate. Mm. And it's been such a gift that we opened our inclusivity. Yeah. It's it's hard for me to put into words, but I just know that um, when we met, I felt that in some ways I was looking at aspects of my own femininity in a way that I hadn't actually really noticed before. If And it's hard for me to put it into words except to say the spiritual element, I guess, that nurturing um, energy and um, an unconditional love and openness and innocence that I felt in your presence when we were when I was listening to your story and we were talking, and it really gave me a wonderful gift to take away with me because um, I've met younger transgender folk and not been close particularly close friends, didn't really get a chance to exchange energy. But again, this vulnerability was there that I could pick up as well. And I think that's something that people who don't have any exposure at all to people who are trans don't give themselves the opportunity to have that energy exchange with another person. They will stop at what their mind tells them it might be about And that melts away when you meet someone who is trans because there's just the ethereal nature of being with another human being that is vibrating on that frequency. So for me, it was like taking away a veil and I can only compare it to one time that I was um, lucky enough to be invited to a, a women's only night and that was not um, exclusionary in any way, but it just happened that there were all cis women present. Um, and it was a nude dinner, 30 women, and there was a, a, a talk from a neuroscientist and I gave a talk on self-esteem and everybody was naked. And it was only that time that I noticed how much I judge people by what they wear. And I never ever thought that I was that person, but you do take stock of the fact that you are, when you're faced with someone's just their skin and their vulnerability, um, you, that's what you pick up, this heart-centeredness. Mm. So, yeah, I just wanted to share that with you because I, I did at the time, I think, but I think it, it's worthwhile to immerse in that energy and think about it. You know, I love in reading about, different Native American groups where they just accepted that there was men attracted to men, women attracted to women, 
women to men and men to women. And then there was also the, the transgender, whatever they called that. And they just had just acceptance that that's how people were. Mm. And they just let them fit in that. Yeah. It wasn't about what the body shape was or anything. Mm. It was they saw the spirit, they saw the manifestation in life. And it was just that's how it is. Yeah. And the transgender in one of them had a special role in a certain spiritual ceremony mm. and was seen as having a gift, a divine gift of being able to see through the eyes of both genders. Yeah. It's just lack of exposure that that people have in their insular existences that doesn't prepare them for the things that, that scare them now and, and not realising that, I don't know, maybe it's me and my Pollyanna existence, but I think the thing that scares most people most about other people is what they will feel about themselves. You know, I was in an airport several years ago and I watched these guys, blokey guys, and they've got one of their mates in a dress. And I can only imagine there's been some kind of a bet that he's lost, some kind of thing he's lost or he's about to get married. And he was being shamed. I watched his demeanour. I watched the shame around him and the gloating of the mates parading him through the airport in a dress. And... Um, I was hurt, I was angry. It's like that whole thing to say for a man to take on anything feminine is such is so shameful and so degrading. Yeah. It really pissed me off. Yeah. And the other thing is I thought is um I'm the one that wants to be walking through the airport being as feminine as I am. Mm. I'd love to be wearing the dress. Yeah. With pride and with delight and being at home in myself, in my body and in my clothing. And just watching that whole humiliation ritual was just really horrible. Mm. Really horrible. Mm. That's misogyny. And uh, when I was, um, was in a holistic healing center, people with addictions, depression, anxiety, relationship troubles, all kinds of things. And when I came out in my art therapy, I decided I wanted to go to this place because I knew it would be safe. I wanted to go and do the three week program to 100% be visible, seen, known as me, as them the whole time. And whatever emotions are coming up to deal with all of that. And I also knew that not everyone may find it easy, but the very strong boundaries, they would not let any abuse happen at all. Mm. And when I arrived, I talked in advance and the gender centre talked to them in advance. They, they'd only had one other known transgender woman before. And um, the staff knew me, but the welcoming and love I had from the staff was just beautiful. Mm. And the respect and honouring 
but then I sat in the main corridor as people walked past um, waiting to see the doctor. And I remember somebody walked past and came up and welcomed and greeted me so beautifully. And then they went and then someone, a woman came and, no, another guy and then a woman, another guy. And one day, a few days later, I was sitting at a meal table and I said, and they both, they ended up telling me that two of the guys were gay and the woman was bisexual. Mm. And I just said, isn't that uncanny that I arrive and the three main people that come and welcome me, come and see me and welcome me and love on me, Mm. are you people from the LGBT community? Mm. And they said to me, don't think it was just accidental. One of us saw you and went and told the others. Yeah. And we were coming down, we wanted you to know that you're loved and belong. Yeah. Very special. Yeah. In the first week, one guy, after meditation, just on Sunday, said, can I ask you some questions? And I was really open about my journey, my knowing, um, my healing, my liberation, my not being able to explain it in any way except my my inner self and my healing and everything. And at the end he said, I want to apologise because up until now I have been anti-feminine men, anti-gay men and anti-transgender women. Wow. Really extremely so. And I had no idea. And now that you've shared your story, I am so sorry and I respect and honour you. And the next morning he got up in our community support time with 40-plus people, mostly clients for a few staff, and we had a thing you could give a called a dolphin award. You know, they had these sheets, you do some art therapy colouring and write, you know, what you were giving your dolphin award for. And he gave me one for my courage and for my sharing the night before. And he told everyone, this is what I used to be like and I want to publicly say sorry for the way that I've been and the attitudes I've had. And it's because Em shared her story with me. Now I understand so much more. So prior to that, you were just dealing with it in silence. You hadn't actually. Yeah, and I didn't know how much of my wanting to die how much of my darkness, how much of my depression, how much of my suffering came from hiding. I didn't Mm. know that. Mm. There's no drugs, no therapies of all of the decades of stuff that I've done are a patch on what happened when I stopped hiding Mm. and was accepted enough for who I am. Yeah. I can't argue that. Yeah. If I could take the essence of what happened to me, put it in a pill and sell it for depression for how traumatic it was for healing that, Mm. I'd be a billionaire. Yeah. It was so dramatic. So it's... Being open, honest, real, being seen, being loved, being respected, being delighted in. Being that we're both we're both women of a certain age, in inverted commas, <laughs> do you find that the older that you get, the reinforcement is nice, but you are gaining your own sense of um, feistiness coming through as a the the genuine self love that 
is able to envelop you and scre- screen out the negativity or it's just always... I struggle with self-love. Yeah. It's only in accepting who I am. But then if I look at me in the Zoom, if I look in the mirror, it can really hurt. Yeah. Um, but there's the dys- dysphoria, there's the struggle with that. Um, but being the woman that I am, like if I could be 100%, if I could um, have all of the biological things that most women have mm. and all of that kind of thing, if I could transform to that, it would be just an instant that's where I resonate. Mm. But I'm not in this life. I do not like what some of society does to me. Mm. I hate the limiting. I hate the fear. I hate the pain. Mm. But I love, when I'm in the safe places and accepted, I flourish and thrive. I love being the woman I am. Mm. And if somebody said, I've said this to many women, if somebody could come up with therapies and pills that could take all this away so that I just, my psyche was like lined up with the male genitals and everything and this is, you know, Mm. and take all of this away, I would not do it. Yeah. I would not do it. Even though society makes it tough. Well, that's got to tell, that's gotta tell you woman. something. That's got to tell you something, Em. em I that's, love being a woman. You're not just a woman, you're you. Oh, and why would I not want to be? Why would you not want to be It's the you? most beautiful thing. Yeah. So your question about I have had so many traumas in life mm. and it's not the traumas that made me, you know, I've often wondered, you know, I've got a huge cyst in my brain and my brain's rearranged because of it. I okay. asked the neuroscience specialist, is that something that may have done it? And he said, no. Um, you know, and I've asked questions of brain people of like, well, because it just said, just is. Mm-hmm. And look, there's, there's probably reasons too, but just saying, don't try and find that there's something wrong or something's happened. Yeah. You just start. Mm-hmm. But I know before any of the traumas, before any of the suffering, she is there. She's been yeah. there. Mm. She is the heart of me all the way through. Mm. And I've had bad things. I've had traumas. But the healing comes when I stop hiding mm. and when I'm really true. And in art therapy, I found a safe community. If they hadn't been safe, I wouldn't have opened up and shared. Mm. But I had two days a week to turn up, get there early, dress up, wait till everyone goes, change to get on the public transport. It was my safe two days a week to experiment, to explore, to unfold. I would give myself judgments and criticisms that I'm not, I should just be fully out there and do this and do that and here's what people expect, here's what a transgender person is. And I was like, I have so anxiety, so much I'm struggling with. Mm. I just, I can't push myself. But what I found when I took the pressure off, I let myself unfold one bit at a time. And two months later, I'd be doing something that I never thought I would two months earlier. Yeah. It's too hard. And letting myself unfold. And people would say, so what are you going to do? Are you going to do this, 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 this? And I said, I don't know. I have to unfold 
one petal at a time, one leaf at a time. Mm. I just have to unfold at my own pace. Yeah. How are you feeling? You were a bit anxious at the beginning. I didn't even realise you were recording until a little while ago. (laughs) (laughs) We were just chatting. This has been really healing for me. Yeah? Last week, um, Sydney Centre for Creative Change did a webinar on diversity relating to people with diversity for people in the caring professions. Mm. And I shared my story there and I watched, I opened my heart, I watched the participants in the webinar opening their hearts Mm. and I came away softer, gentler, gentle tears, not brokenness tears, touch tears, Um, healing. And I've really just... Being in your presence and your way has been so special for me and I am scared of the outside world and I'm not a Zoom person. Like I hated it when I started all the Zoom stuff when yeah, COVID came. It is a little bit awkward. But so even just have lunch, sit down by the computer and have you here in my room. It's beautiful. This has been a real big healing session for me. Mm. When I opened up and shared with people I've known, I've got friends that go back anywhere up to 50 years. I can have somebody that I've known well and would think they know me well, but they don't know or don't yet know that I'm a woman. Yeah. But I could meet you at storytelling and share my story and you know who I am. Mm. And you are closer mm. than that other person. Yeah. If only we could teach people, I think that's it's it's not enough to be open and accepting and having all this solidarity in the adult community if we don't teach it to our children because mm. they, they're only going to grow up with prejudice and then have to spend it you know, most of their 20s and 30s overcoming it. And then, you know, it's like it's it's a you start out innocent and accepting of everything, then you're told not to, and then you have to, you know, find your own way out of that cage of prejudice that most of us, particularly in that in our generation, had to deal with. But if we teach kids that whatever feeling they have about someone else, whatever impression they have about what they look like means whether it's the colour of their skin or their gender or, or whatever it is, that they need to look at the feelings that are being stirred up within them and learn to analyse, have that cognitive sense of my feelings are just feelings. They're not knowledge. They're just feelings. And also to give children right from the start the chance to explore, to experiment, to get a sense of who they are. Yeah. Because, you know, we we grew up where it's so much as boys do this, girls do that, boys look like this, girls look like that. And it was like categories that you had to squish into and if you didn't, you were teased and judged. But to allow, you know, if you're going to look at a spectrum where you've got on the feminine side you've got more feminine to masculine. On the male side you've got from the feminine through to the masculine. There's other dimensions as well. But wherever we fit on all of that, mm. wherever we fit in our gender identity or our sexuality, instead of feeling we should fit a certain way, is to be able to develop 
Yeah. Who am I uniquely so? It, it continually, like even the most straight down the line, white bread heterosexual human being is still going to have some kind of evolutionary thing take place within them emotionally as well as psychologically and yeah. their and their sexual being will evolve as well within that spectrum of just being heterosexual yeah. but it's <laughs> but we don't know we don't understand we 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 yeah. persist with a cookie cutter notion of what it is to be a human being and yeah. everything else is other and different and to be feared and judged and and um, downtrodden and separated and and so the women's the women's organisation that have invited me in and welcomed me and include me. One of the one of the wise women in the group. She said, "In this organisation, there will be women who have children who are transgender." And we need someone that's like an elder like you that helps them to understand, that puts up that we, we are recognising that there are children that you have and that you're dealing with things. Like one women's group I was in, there was a woman there who had a child that the school thought was transgender mm. and she'd never told any of her friends. She kept it a secret because she was scared of the judgment, didn't understand it. Mm. And she said, I need you every week, every month when you're in group. I mm. need you because it helps me understand my child. Yeah. And how special that was. It wasn't just about this is benefiting me. Mm. And another child came out on the gender diverse spectrum later and the connection I had with those women and those kids is um we need to have people it's of so diversity for the younger ones to be able to look up to and to see how they navigate it's so ironic that the people who are most fiercely opposed to um trans kids being accepted as young as 10 or, or however old and parents facilitating that um, to the point of allowing them to dress how they want to dress and present how they want to change the name or, or whatever. And the most common sort of idea behind being in opposition of that is saying that somehow um, the parents are capitulating but it's almost like um that capitulation is somehow forcing that child into making a decision or you know there's there's this weird ironic um inversion of the principle of what it is to be a parent in this situation rather than understanding that what you're accusing these parents of doing is in actual fact what every single parent on the planet does when they dress their kids in pink and blue according to their gender. They are telling their children who they are. Yeah. Thank you for being a beautiful son. I remember that clearly when you came up and talked to me afterwards. Yeah. I felt your warmth, your acceptance, your love, yeah. your inclusion. I felt we are in a and bubble. You- <laughs> and a beautiful 
soft, gentle understanding why spirit that you've manifest and that in this dialogue has just been so beautiful for me. Oh, I'm glad. I'm really I'm glad. really touched. Yeah. All right, well, just accept a big hug from me. <laughs> so that's how that conversation went. And you would have heard the odd um, signal disturbance over Zoom, uh, the quavering in the voice. You heard birds. I think there was a dog or a cat in the background. I think there might have been a plane flying over. So we were against the odds there. Um, and also it was just a really delicate conversation Um, and I didn't pepper her with a lot of questions about her experiences with trauma, with violence um, or try to get her to straighten out her timeline for me in a chronological way. I just followed the conversation and picked out what I felt were the most um, pertinent points and allow you as an audience just to read between the lines of the conversation and pick up on things that aren't being unpacked but are still being revealed and letting it wash over you what is being revealed to you when listening. Um, So I look forward to people giving me feedback on this particular episode, like really, Um, because I'm learning as a podcaster and I'm learning as an interviewer and I don't want to tread on delicate situations. I don't want to be triggering either to my subject or to my listener. But at the same time, I want to keep it as real and authentic and informative as I can and also to give us moments where we do have to sit in our discomfort and sit in our empathy as we listen to someone else talk about their pain. Now, next episode could not be more different. I'm speaking to someone I've known for several years. We haven't like been really super tight friends, but we've been involved in the same theatrical community. We've been involved in shows together um, and I've been in shows with his mum and he's 21 and he went to school with my son who I interviewed about being bi a couple of episodes ago and um, they're good friends and it's been a process of them coming out in various ways over the last um, few years. I will expand on that during the episode. Um, but like I say, it's it's someone going through it now in the society we're in now and also in a very, very conducive and open uh, community, which is the arts community, creative community, theatre community. Um, there's a lot of LGBTQIA awareness in that community and it's um, a robust, beautiful, inclusive, dynamic, beautiful space to be in. And um, I felt really, really, really privileged to meet these beautiful young people just by being involved in the theatre. Like I started with community theatre when I was 40 and just from a performance and an artistic perspective, I was like, where has this been all my life? I I was like a duck to water. It was like coming home for me. And that's just doing theatre. 
That's just learning to act and perform and be part of that kind of thing. And that's before we even talk about the fact that that community is broad in age and culture and experience and spectrum. So I'm very lucky that I have access to someone as fabulous as the wonderful young man I'm going to introduce to you in the next podcast. No more spoilers. You'll have to wait for that one. Thank you very much for listening. As I say, always, please, if you would like to give me feedback, email me at theeloquentintheroom at gmail.com or drop me a message at my website where I have blogs and um, links to various surveys I'm doing where you can drop me a message completely anonymously. Um, You can drop me a message at Instagram or on Facebook. Let me just put it out there that I think everyone should be following me. Seriously, do yourself a favour. So that wraps that up. Give yourself a big hug for me and I will take one in return. And let's all of us give a universal hug to beautiful M in gratitude for sharing at least part of her amazing story with us. Um, And let's just set people straight if they ever express any sort of bullshit about the trans community. Um, You were just listening to more of a lady than I will ever be. So suck on that, JK. Talk to you soon. Misogyny moves in mysterious ways, that's all I can say.